I'm Charles Coplin, and you're listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustain Music and Nature. Ready Reckoner is the new album from my guest Courtney Hartman. She wrote a lot of it while walking a 500-mile pilgrimage across northern Spain. Walking, walking has been this uh, thread that has woven a lot of um, kind of uh, signposts of my life together. And what I realized when I started out on the Camino was that I had a lot of noise in my head. I had a lot of um, things that I thought I should be thinking through or writing while I was walking. And none of that mattered. It was like, that was all kind of the junk at the surface that was floating up. And I realized I need to just be quiet and listen. Um, and that hollowing out, that quieting took a while. It took longer than I thought it would, but it became a bigger hollowing out, um, that had ripples through my life, not just in those moments of quiet. So this is fascinating to me though, because you had this whole epiphany and this really, I'm going to call it, and maybe it's the wrong word. You can correct me. Spiritual experience. You weren't listening to music on the trail. You were doing a lot of self-discovery. Um, and please feel free to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the antithesis of being on the trail to me is recording an album in Brooklyn, New York, <laughs> which is where you recorded Ready Reckoner. So can you sort of talk about the juxtaposition between this sort of spiritual moments of external and internal quiet and recording an album inside an urban space like uh, in a borough of Manhattan or, you know, a borough of New York city, I should say. Yeah. Well, in that juxtaposition was a little bit of a picture of my life as well. I'd gone out into this quiet, but I did live in Brooklyn at the time and that was very noisy. And I lived a very kind of noisy lifestyle. I was on the road all the time at, at that point. So I was writing this music, um, while walking and while asking these questions of, um, when you're in the quiet and when you're outside and you take time to get quiet, it's like, um, what sound could I make that is worthy of this space? Um, or that could add to this soundscape in a way that is a whole. And, and I didn't really know the answer to that question. Um, so I made quiet sounds at first and then uh, wrote songs from that space as imperfect as as they were, because it's all, you know, it's all imperfect. Um, but the recording of those songs in New York, I think I did it. I recorded with people that also knew what that space was like and with people who I could say, okay, this song is um, a hike and this is what it looks like to me. Um, this song is sitting in this specific place thinking about a burnt hillside that I'm watching. They could take that and embody it through sound. Um, and I trusted them with that. So this is um, an obvious Tom Waits segue I'm building here. Okay, okay great. But Tom Waits, has a, Tom Waits has something that I have heard him say where um, he could be driving in traffic mm. and the muse could pay a visit to him. And his attitude is if, it, that, if it's that, rather than like scrambling to write it down, 
his attitude is, if it's that important, the muse will contact me later. This uh -huh. sounds a little bit like the experience you were having where you were walking. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and if you could just describe exactly what you were doing every day. Yeah. But unless I'm wrong, maybe you had a journal, but you weren't really able to do any kind of really recording or anything like that. And so you had to really wait for the muse to come back to you when you were unpacking this record mm. in the recording process. You know, what's funny is I thought that I would record a lot when I went. And so because I didn't fulfill that expectation, I felt like a failure, like over and over again, which was something that, you know, continues to, to ripple into all sorts of aspects of my life. You have expectations and you don't meet them. And, and what I realized was that I, I was doing the work I needed to do. Um, but for that, it was different than what it, I thought it would look like. I'd get up in the morning and it would be pretty, pretty active because you were staying with all these other pilgrims, um, some familiar, some strangers and kind of smelly. And sometimes there'd be food, sometimes not. And a lot of times it would be just before light. So it'd still be dark out and you're like sore and, most days, like, you didn't really want to get up and do the thing again. And and um, you would get up and start walking, and, and then you just walk and walk and walk. And what I had to do was to take the energy to step aside and, and write when I felt that that was what I needed to do, which would sometimes mean I needed to leave the friends I was walking with. They would continue on. Maybe I would see them again. Maybe I wouldn't see them ever again. Um, or sometimes it meant staying back in the morning and writing a little bit. Um, a lot of times I was just singing or just um, jabbering into my voice memos on my phone. And that was my writing um, at the time. And then I came back home to New York and I had a pretty relatively empty summer. And I just had all this stuff, all of these little sn snippets and you know ramblings and put them together as best I could um but I had to you have to either we have a choice I guess um when we feel led to do something or led to write or say something and we either say yes or no um, if we say no, I think sometimes if it's important, it'll come back later. If it's really important, it might move on to someone else and they are the one to bring that out into the world. Um, but saying yes can mean, uh, you know, saying something to someone saying yes can mean, um, recording like three seconds of a melody into your phone. Um, you don't know what you're saying yes to all the time. So you have the internal creative process that so many artists have, the, the conflict. And you, I mentioned the Tom Waits segue. So you enlisted some mm -hmm. help here. Your co-producer, Shazad Ismaili, has worked with Tom Waits, Lou Reed. This was a new recording mm -hmm. experience for you. What was that relationship like? What was this process like? Shazad is, is really a deeply musical being. Um, and... I think he works from his intuition as much as anyone I've ever met. 
Um, so he came to me and just asked permission to be on a list of people as if I had a list of people who wanted to, to work on a record. But, um, yeah, that was a, it was just a growing friendship, I, I guess, at the beginning. And he was very helpful in helping me to open up my idea of what a piece might be. That the the tune I recorded with Bill Frizzell was an example of that. That was like a single verse song, actually, and and he said, you know, maybe this is a uh, an instrumental, and that became that, and then it became a duet, and so yeah, he didn't. He was never putting something upon the music. He was asked. He was calling out what it could be, um, and asking me to consider that like a great producer does. Mm -hmm. And speaking of Bill Frizzell, he was a big influence on you. You started playing the violin at three years old. So mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about, uh, I'm not sure you can remember exactly what was going on when you were three, but how did your musical journey begin? Mm, I have no idea what was happening at three years old, but apparently I was playing Suzuki violin. And my older sisters were also playing Suzuki and I wanted to be like them. And so that's what I did until I was like 12. And then a guitar and a mandolin showed up in the house. And that's what my mom and my older sisters were playing sometimes. So that's what I wanted to do. Um, so we had instruments around. My parents were so good at just um, balancing, giving us a discipline for practice and a love of exploring on our own. And we were homeschooled. So we had a lot of room for exploring on our own. And like you were influenced by a lot of music, I, I would assume you're influenced by a lot of other things. We're going to talk about some of them. One of them mm -hmm. is, um, I'm fascinated by this, Koyana Scotsi, the Godfrey Reggio film. Mm. Can you talk about your relationship with that film and why you've made the choice that you made to, to do the music for that? Hmm. That was, um, that piece, um, happened during the same time that I, that I connected with Shazad actually. And it was in a program called One Beat and it brings together musicians from all around the world. And you spend six weeks together creating pieces of work, um, and connecting with communities. So we were working in Idaho and Oregon and Wyoming and Colorado. And one of the pieces was um, to rescore that film. It has a beautiful score by Philip Glass. Um, but the directors of One Beat went to Godfrey Reggio and asked if we could do a live rescoring. So uh, my group spent a couple weeks working on that um, and piecing the song or piecing the film out into scenes and and writing pieces for it. So the song that I recorded was just a little snippet um, of instrumental and then I, I wrote that piece off of it um, and it's a it's a hopey word and so I I actually now looking back I wish I would have um, I, I want to give honor to to those people and to that word and um, I recognize that it wasn't my word to use and it's probably was not Godfrey Reggio's word to use either but it's this continuing this continuing learning that we're all doing. Um, what I was struck by in particular was just the continuity of water in all of its forms um, and how he uses that as a very 
very societal, big picture. Um, but to me, water in the form of a cloud looked like ocean and water in the form of ocean looked like the icebergs and that whole fluidity. Um, so that's what that piece was inspired by. How much does nature affect your songwriting? I know that's a broad question, but would love to get your answer to it. So when I when I decided to walk on the Camino, I was answering, trying to answer a question. I wanted to know what walking or being in, in nature meant for myself, but also meant for my writing. Um, and so going for a long walk was a way to, to kind of uncover that. And walking is still how I, it's still how I empty. Um, it's how, you know, if our brains are, if my brain is full of waves and thoughts and a lot happening and input all the time, walking and, and getting outside is the way of letting all of that kind of come down to a simmer so that I can listen, I can hear melodies that might be in my head all along, but I wasn't able to hear them or listen. Um, and words. So even if I don't write a song that has anything to do with nature, right? But we are nature. So there's there's no separation of us and nature or, or the artist and nature. Um, it's all part of our nature. But uh, even if I am not writing about it, it feels like it is the constant um, kind of bed from which I from which things are born for my work so you might say it's from the trail and if you do I'd like you to be more specific and I also don't want to put the answer in your head but can you talk about one of your most memorable public land moments that aha this is uh something's happening here moment there are so there's so many um, but the ones that come to mind as the most poignant were either as like as the night was turning into day or the day was turning into night. One of those was was on the Camino. It was one of my last nights and I was sleeping outside alone and there's this like um boldness and uh coupled with some some fear, I think, anytime we're outside alone, um, that we're always kind of grappling with but I watched the moon come up and the sun go down right at the same time and I just felt very held and sleeping outside does that I think and and that said most of my life decisions have been made outside on on open public land that's all of ours um that's where I go to to find answers or, or just to sift through the questions. And so I was proposed to on public land. I, Congratulations. I made big uh, moving decisions on public land or nearly public land if it was somebody's field. I didn't know it. Stay with us. When we come back, Courtney talks about a new musical direction. 
I'm Betsy. And I'm Harrison. We're the co-founders of Sustain Music and Nature. Sustain is a nonprofit that makes music a force for nature. By tapping into the emotional power of music and cultural sway of artists, we engage new audiences with their environment. Check out Sustain Music and Nature on social media to see our public land music videos and learn about upcoming concerts in the great outdoors. You're listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustain Music and Nature. My guest, Courtney Hartman, was playing bluegrass music, but she started to feel a need to make a change, to clear some space, a process she describes as hollowing out. I think you asked earlier what the hollowing out was, and um, I knew I needed to clear space for something. And those parts of my life are still so wonderful. Um, and I love that music so much. It just wasn't what was coming out at the time. And at the, at the time, I also didn't know what I was clearing space for. Um, I didn't know, I, you know, I, it wasn't like I was replacing those things with something else. But the hollowing out had to happen. Um, before I could, I could bring other things into my life, and yeah, it, it it's it's um it's scary to empty to empty out. It's scary to clear space when you don't know what's gonna catch you or what you'll be caught up by. For sure. And so I guess it was time. Yeah. Yeah, but for anyone in that place of clearing, and I think culturally we're in a place of, I mean, goodness, so much sifting out in the in the last year and people making big changes, and that takes a lot of courage, I think. No doubt, no doubt. One of the things about doing this podcast is I get to ask about things that I, I like that... Yeah. that the guest has a relationship to. So Courtney, I'm going to hit you with three kind of diverse uh, things. And I want to get okay. your, your thoughts and I'll try and give it some context on while I'm asking. The first is one of my favorite all-time guitar players, who's not only an extremely talented musician, has really grown in terms of what he's doing now, but is also a really kind guy. I had the pleasure uh, of a lifetime to work with him, uh, Mike Campbell. I know you mm. worked with with Mike. What was that like? Mike is all of those things. Um, we met in Hawaii actually, and uh, through some through a mutual friend. And then he invited me a, f a couple times out to LA, and we played music and recorded a little bit. There's some some recordings buried somewhere amongst all his walls of recordings that we worked on, and. Um, yeah, what a he just is a very quiet, humble, generous spirit, and I would yeah, so much. There's just so he has put so much work into the world, and he's been such an anchor to so much great music. It's mind blowing to me, um, and I would just kind of sit with my jaw dropped, 
Yeah. And he's having this second life now. You know, unfortunately, Tom has left us, but now Mike is out there being a front man when he didn't even yeah. sing all those years with the Heartbreakers. It's crazy. It's crazy. Oh, he also has one of the most entertaining Instagram profiles. Love his Instagram profile. The music from the bathroom, <laughs> uh, the old uh, Heartbreaker classics. Yeah. Yeah. And he's so active yeah. on it. He's so active on it. Yeah. Um, we got we to gotta, uh, share this with him somehow. Um, the other artist I wanted to ask you about, I don't know if she's an influence. I think, I know she's an influence. I don't think you've worked with her, but I'm a huge Anne Lamott fan and just was curious, like your relationship mm. to her and how she's affected your work and life. Yeah. Wow. I love hearing that. Um, bird by Bird is oh, one yeah. of those books that bird. I've probably... I've probably bought that book 10 times and then I quickly meet someone who I who I think needs it and I give it give it to them um and I've read it a number of times she put into writing what you know what I needed to hear over and over again which was essentially just do the work um and keep doing the work but I mentioned earlier that it was it was answering that question of what does walking and and being out out kind of in space do for my writing or for my my being and it was her her writing about walking and Mary Oliver's writing about walking like I can point to those two very specifically that made me want to ask that question um and no I've never worked with her but or met her or anything but but she's been an influence. Yeah. I just took a, like an online storytelling class with her and she's just so brilliant. And, but I think bird by bird, that should almost be like the handbook for how to be a human being. Like, it's just like, it's required reading to just live a better life. So, all right. That's, mm -hmm. that's our Anne Lamott moment. Um, and obviously <laughs> these are not paid endorsements. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is a little bit different, but um, I am, awful but i play the guitar my son is great and he plays the guitar so i wanted to hear about finding your way to the fretboard mm. i i've loved teaching um it's been you know one of the things that i could keep doing throughout the pandemic was to teach online um, and connect with people in that way so guitar um is a just a kind of infinity puzzle to me um, that, that I can continue to learn from, and and so also in 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 talking about the fretboard um, with students, it was um, you know I always want to do my best to make everything seem a little bit more clear than it was when we began the lesson or the workshop, and so connecting the pieces that that might not seem as obvious. Um, but, uh, no, but, okay, no, but we're going to move on, but you can yeah. come back to that if you have yeah. anything else to say. <laughs> um, but I love the endless mysteries of the guitar. Cause I, I, it's just like, it's so intimidating and yet it's so comforting all in one, mm. you know, all in one. But anyway, that's my own relationship with the guitar, more the intimidating than the comforting. Um, yeah. So you wrote a song called Won't Be Satisfied. 
and it is about environmental awareness. And as this is a show about music and nature, that seems to be the perfect cross section of what we're talking about. What was behind that song? I wrote that song, I mean, just hours before I went to go play for a benefit for Earth Justice. Um, and the refrain is, uh, we won't be satisfied, sing the children, sing the children. Well, we won't be satisfied, sing the children of the land. And I just, um, I think that the complacency of, um, and our willingness to degrade, um, land and resources and each other is... It's the most dangerous thing. And so um, by saying children of the land, that's us right now, but it's maybe our children also or their children. And and we've lived for so long in a world that, um, well, I'll rephrase that. I guess the question we has we have asked as a society is how can we do less harm? Uh, but I think as humans we actually play a vital role in doing good and in in fostering a relationship with land that is very positive and life-giving and so it's not how can we do less harm but how can we um, make it much better um, through our cooperation and our our observation like that is what being out um, nature is not it's not landscape, it's not scenes, right? Scenic wilderness, that doesn't, that's only a thing that's from our perspective. Um, and the wilderness is a, is a world, it's a, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a world that we can help to thrive if we pay attention and listen to it um, and help heal it. So that song is asking that is saying we you know we won't be satisfied it's expressing that that push against complacency um that i want to have every time i make a choice in my life because our lives are every day is full of so many choices um and i know we can't always do everything right but we can help each other for sure and that positive approach is very much the sustained message um mm. so you know, completely agree. Um, to that end, um, just in terms of, of actually doing something bird by bird, can you talk about mm. One Tree Planted? Yeah. So One Tree Planted is is a fantastic organization. Um, if you buy merch from me, then a dollar of that goes to, to them. And for a dollar, they have set up an incredible system um, and connections around the world and a dollar plants a tree, and that's really important. Um, and it's also important to note that all of us can plant trees and plant plants and cover ground because the ground needs a covering. Um, it doesn't want to be naked. And um, I, I, I think I was very much like, it was a very like whew, heaviness around all the fires. Um, there's always, there's fires, right, everywhere right now. Um, and maybe they will help us 
um, I guess, kick our butts into action and in the way that they need to. But it, for me, it, it was that last fall um, when I connected with uh, with One Tree Planted. And um, there's a lot of people doing really great things. And I, I want to be a part there of those. Are, there are. This is this way. is. Well, you are. This this is like a little bit of a left turn. But have you read the Overstory? Do you know yeah, this book? Yeah, I have. I have. Yeah. It, you want to explain just so people have some context of why I'm asking this question, not to put you on the spot. Yeah. Um. So the Overstory, um, brings a narrative to specific species of trees in our in our country, native trees. And um, I, I think the power of it was by weaving a narrative, there's no way that you'll, you'll forget the story um, of the chestnut in America um, through reading that narrative. Um, and I think by knowing the, you know, it's like when you know someone's name, um, there's a power in that just by knowing their name and knowing their face. And so when we start to know the plants around us and the trees, there's power in that and like kinship in that. Um, and I'll mention braiding sweetgrass as well has been such an incredible, um, uh, I guess, Robin Kimmerer, the author, does a very similar thing in that book. And she just brings narrative and and motherhood and um ecology like scientific ecology but mostly just um friendship and kinship with the natural world she just brings it all into a place where you're like crying one moment I don't my husband and I have been reading it and it's just been so uh just heart opening yeah these books are powerful I mean the overstory I I didn't love it as a book to read per se from a storytelling standpoint, although I do think it would be a great film, but it definitely changed. It would be a great film and I'm sure somebody's going to make it, but it definitely changed my relationship, my empathy um, to trees, which are the primary species or, or if that's the right word um and their communication with each mm -hmm. other and their interdependency with each other i thought i mm -hmm. thought it was fascinating um go ahead there, there's a power there in the the lineage of these trees or plants or you know it's planting it's planting time right now and so we've got all these seeds at the house and individuals um, for so many generations have taken that seed and made it possible for ha us to have it at home right now. And it comes in this little packet in the mail and you can buy, you know, we can buy a lot of it, but we forget how precious and sacred yes. that yes. seed is. Um, obviously this talk about trees and nature and the environment is inspiring to you. We've talked about that. Um, I am curious because you were also a poet. Song lyrics are poetry but there is a line of demarcation between the two. And I'm curious how you sort of go back and forth as a poet and as a lyricist between the two hmm. mediums. I don't always know what the line is, except often I, I do know that something is one or the other. Um, and so if I'm writing you know, so far, because I feel 
um, I hope I get to do this for a long time. And so I, as you know, up until now, it's like been in seasons. So I'll write um, something that looks similar or feels similar to a poem. I'll write that kind of thing for a while. Um, and then songs are happened for a while. But maybe that'll change too. That's just for today and yesterday and the days before that. Um, but it helps me to have, I enjoy having both. Yeah. I enjoy both. I want to ask you one question I ask all my guests. If you think about a song that brings this positive feeling of nature into your consciousness, uh, could be one of yours, could be another song. Is there some particular song that comes to mind? This is always a hard answer for people, by the way. It's always, a, and it would be for me. It's easier to ask the question than answer it. Can I say one of mine? Of course, please. Okay. Uh, it's come up a number of times in this conversation, but Hollow for me is that song. And it's the song that I had to write while entering that space, or it wrote itself while I was entering that space. Um, and it was my desire to to carry that space out with me, even though we can't always do that. Um, but I was wanting to, to take something. Um, so it was in the form of that song. And that's exactly what I told the musicians that played it. I was like, so this is the space that we're in right now um, with this piece. And so you can play from this um, soundscape or songscape. Um, and I, th I think they did that beautifully. Singer, songwriter, Courtney Hartman. Her new album is Ready Reckoner. For more, go to CourtneyHartman.com. I'm Charles Copland, and you have been listening to Songscapes a production of sustain music and nature for a storm